You're listening to the Tripping Off Podcast. Personality is something that has fascinated psychology since the beginning of this science. Most of us have taken a personality test and been delighted to find out little nuances of how we interact with the world. And some of us have become frustrated with our personality characteristics and our unconscious behavior. But what if you had over 14 personalities? Well, let me introduce you to my guest, Zach. Or, well, at least that's the personality we will be talking with from the larger system at Fragmented Psyche. With a large social media following of over 163,000 at the time of this recording and over 2.3 million likes, Zach creates content that inspires others, shows the real side of disassociative identity disorder, and breaks the stigma against those who experience this type of personality collective. He shows that those with DID are not psychopaths and villains, but incredibly talented individuals who have insight into the world that we could never even imagine. Man, Zach, this is great. I'm so glad to have you on the Tripping Off podcast. I have been following you for a while. I don't know quite how you popped up in my feed, but um, it was interesting to me because, you know, there's so many conversations from therapists uh, about different things on TikTok and the stuff going on. And like, there's a couple other creators who talk about like depression and anxiety, but you have such a unique voice and you're so open about speaking of the things you go through um, that it really was attractive to me. And I'm like, wow, what an amazing individual who's doing a good job of communicating and advocating for multiple personality, which the correct diagnosis is actually DID. So Zach, I'm, I'm just thrilled to have you on and just to get to pick your brain and talk about and help educate other people about what this whole thing is. So uh, how did you get started on TikTok? Um, actually it was one of the typical ironic things where I'd started a YouTube and I was just kind of messing around online and I saw a TikTok and TikTok ad on YouTube. And I'm like, nice. oh, well, let, let's check this out. I'm sure it'll be dumb. And then I was addicted to it. And here we are two years later. <laughs> <laughs> Much like the rest of us, right? Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, just like YouTube stuff, do you do other things besides, um, Besides TikTok, are you also like, I mean, you also Twitch stream and things like that, right? Yeah, I'm on Twitch. Um, I post to Instagram some, but not much. And then my Twitter is just for venting. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I feel that. Funny Instagram's kind of dead. I've been feeling. Yeah. 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 Kind of miserable right now. So, I mean, TikTok's where it's at. That's, oh, yeah. That's great. What what do you think it is about TikTok? Just curiosity. Like, um, what kept you posting? Like, what kept you there after you like download this crazy app that you saw an ad for? It's I like being able to use sounds, like just automatically use sounds to make memes. Because most of my content in the beginning, I wouldn't even talk for the first year. It was all using sounds and lip syncing to make memes. And then the editing process, like YouTube, you know, I record a video and then it takes me hours to edit a video. But TikTok, all the editing is on there. It's short form video. So for my, you know, minuscule attention span, you know, 15 to 60 seconds is perfect. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, there's a lot of editing capability on TikTok that YouTube, you kind of have to figure out how to do it on your own, which I don't know about you, but to me was intimidating. TikTok having it all there was nice. It is. It's a lot easier to do it on TikTok. Um, YouTube, I've figured it out fairly quickly, but I'm also really into cinematography. So that helps. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Man. So, okay. 
Cool. Cool. And, and then I've kind of watched, like, I don't know, maybe I've stalked you a little too much. Uh, <laughs> I've kind of watched as you've like, you know, I saw that like in the beginning you were posting this really like sort of meme content, you know, funny things you wouldn't talk at all. And then to starting to talk, trying, starting to talk about the things that you went through. And then even more recently, like introducing your audience to your alters and the system and the different things that you're going through. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey for you? Like, are you just feeling more comfortable? Is it more self-acceptance? Like what's, what's that like? I think, yeah, I think it's more self-acceptance. I think that my alters are more comfortable with the audience that we have because like, I'm the one that's a lot more outgoing and happy to be all over social media and talk to people. But, you know, everybody else was a lot more shy and kind of standoffish because they didn't know how we would be perceived online. Um, but everyone has been, you know, there's like trolls here and there, but there's so few and far between. It doesn't matter. But everyone's been really welcoming. And um, it's actually been helpful for us in therapy to have others start to make videos because like really? I can hear them in my head, but I don't see how they're perceived to other people. I can't externally see or hear them. So that's oh. helped me gain communication with them. Got it. So, so has it helped you gain communication with the alters or is it, I mean, it's probably both, but also seeing the way that the community responds in the comments to your alters? Yes, it has. Like, um, Jamie's first video, I, he didn't not, he did not get permission because I've been really strict about littles not being on social media. I remember that video. Yeah. He got really excited and made a video. And when I came back, I was like, Oh no. But everyone was so nice in the comments that I was like, well, you know, maybe he does deserve an outlet because he doesn't, you know, we have a son that he can play with, but he doesn't really get to make, you know, it's kind of weird to be a 34 year old, but also be a seven year old. You can't just, you know, go to the playground and make friends because then it's a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. People, people don't quite understand. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's been a good outlet for him and people have been so sweet to him. That's amazing. Yeah, I remember I commented right away on the video. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> the altars are out. <laughs> yes, they've been getting friendlier recently. More yeah. outgoing, which I think is great. They deserve an outlet too, just as much as me. Right, absolutely. Well, I mean, I know people, we're jumping right into the middle of this. Um, but would you mind sharing with you know those listening right now um, kind of your diagnosis and some of the specifics about like what that's like, what a day-to-day -day sort of feels like so we can educate people on DID, multiple personality. Yeah, for sure. It actually took um, us a long time to get diagnosed. The therapist that we're with now, we've been with her for 10 years since she was our therapist when we were at long-term care. Got it. Um, and we just kind of continued with her afterwards because we already knew her. Mm -hmm. And we were diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, but it never quite fit. It was just the closest thing that they could figure out. Um, and it's, I had the dissociative symptoms. I had the acting different all the time. Some days, like there was one day at treatment, actually, that um, one of my therapists forgot our session and straight up threw a temper tantrum over it and ripped all the pages down on her door and stuff. Like nice. very childlike behavior. And they still didn't pick up on it. So it took us, uh, we've been diagnosed four and a half years now. So it took until four and a half years ago for my therapist to be like, oh my God, I think I know what's going on with you. Wow. And it's kind of That's progressed from recent. there. 
Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty recent. So we've been weekly for four and a half years working on just the DID. Nice. And and what is you know working on DID treatment like that sort of consist of for you? What I mean, I think to some people this is so far outside of even what they're able to understand in their minds uh, that you know treatment for that they probably don't even have an understanding of what that would look like. So what is that like for you? Well, for about the first six months after diagnosis, it was working on accepting the diagnosis because I didn't believe that I had it. I had the belief that it's a super rare disorder, kind of like a lot of people think, you know, I thought Mm. that it was, it sounds supernatural. So like that can't possibly be me. But the more that I learned about it, the more I'm like, oh, it makes a lot of sense, actually. So like post acceptance, it was gaining communication with everybody, like leaving notes for like, you know, if you feel comfortable talking to me, I'm here. And then coming back and seeing a response, which is a trippy, like it's, it's trippy <laughs> to see like that was not me. Um, it was me, but so it was another part of me. Yeah, it's, it's weird because like, it's not even my handwriting, it's different handwriting. So it's, Splitting off from that, like, not to make a pun, but splitting off from there, it was like two <laughs> nice. ways. Yeah, I have to use puns. Um, <laughs> from gaining awareness with them, it's the like trying to understand that they're separate from me while also understanding that they're all me, like we're all part of one person. Right. And it's confusing, right? You know, I so I don't I don't know if a lot of people know, but yeah, I'm a licensed clinical hypnotherapist. I'm also a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida, and a huge part of my practice is working with schizophrenia and DID. So to me, I'm like I've spent a lot of time trying to understand, and you know, I think in some ways I share some disassociative symptoms, so I can empathize, you know, in my day to day life. Um, but I think kind of like first flush, people are like, "Whoa, that's crazy." Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's real bizarre. And I'm like, well, not really. And I'm kind of curious for your input. So I'll share what I say. People who are curious about it and need to have some more information. I tell them, listen, when you go to work, you're a different kind of person. You're you're your work persona. When you're with your parents, you know, you don't use your curse words as much, right? You kind of clean it up a little bit. You don't talk as dirty. When you're with your friends, maybe at the bar, right? You talk a little bit dirtier, a little bit rowdier, right? When you're with your kid, being a parent, that's a different part of you. They're all parts of you, but they come out in different situations because they have different functions, right? And they all kind of work together as a system, but there's kind of one part of you that's kind of the main part of the system, maybe kind of like the, in in a DID sort of, terminology, we call it the front, right? And that's the one that you are most of the time. But really, I mean, DID is just kind of a more defined, more sort of um, black and white version of what we all do anyway. And so that's kind of the way I've explained it. People have kind of understood when I talk about it that way. Uh, I wonder what you think about it, having the diagnosis. I definitely think it's a good way to put it. It's like the different aspects of yourself, but escalating it. You know, it becomes more separated than for the typical person. But it's, I always use the pizza analogy. You know, we're all the one person, but each pizza slice is its own thing, right? Mm. But they all come from one pizza. Yeah. Yeah. They're all separate pieces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No puns intended. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a lot of stigma against the two, you know, especially like so much in the media and things like that. 
with movies and kind of portraying DID, multiple personalities, as this crazy, crazy thing that's super dangerous. They're psychopaths, stuff like that. Do you have to fight against some of those things? Does that come into your personal life or? It absolutely does. I have actually had um, DCS called on me three separate times just based on my disorder. So then I had to educate, me and my therapist had to educate the social workers on what DID is. And there is absolutely no threat to my kids. So yeah, when people see that, you know, all the media that people with DID are super violent, of course, they're going to have concerns because I have a kid. Right. So that does affect everybody. Like, of course, Hollywood doesn't know who I am and that probably never will know who I am, Mm. but what they do affects my life. Wow. That's, that's pretty intense. I've never heard someone Mm -hmm. put it quite that way. Like what Hollywood does personally affects my life in a negative way. Yeah. Man, you talk about it with such um, almost like calm empathy, you know, like you're so understanding about it. I I feel like I would, if I was in your shoes, I'd, I'd be pissed. In the moment I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the moment I get really, really pissed off when stuff happens. The new like docu-series or whatever it is, it's coming out on Apple. I got super pissed about that because it's just going to add more stigma to my personal life. And who knows if someone's going to call DCS on me again because I have DID and I have a kid. Um, and of course, you know, the the one real life case that they have to choose is Billy Milligan. So that's mm. great. I get pissed about it in, in the moment. But luckily, we got put in anger management when we were like 13. <laughs> cool. So we have excellent coping skills on anger. Nice, nice. Yeah. Mm. Can For people listening, can what's the story of Billy Milligan? Just, just briefly. That's That's what... It said Apple's making a whole series about this. Yeah, it's called The Crowded Room, and Tom Holland is going to be portraying Billy Milligan. Oh, um, big I've actor. made a couple. Yeah, big name actor. So a ton of people are going to be watching it. Yeah. And Billy Milligan, he was the first um, case. I think it's when they switched multiple personality disorder to dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. But um, one of his alters committed armed robbery and rape and went to court. The altars testified and everything. And he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And instead of serving a normal prison sentence, he went to a psych ward for 10 years. And because his alter, it was the, it wasn't me. It was Patricia argument essentially. Right. right. Which I get it. It's a real life case. I'll give them credit for that. It's a thing Mm -hmm. that actually happened, but there is a case called Jenny Haynes where they could have used that because it's a real life case where she has the ID and she and her system put themselves through law school so that they could prosecute her father who was her abuser and all of her alters testified in court and they got him sent to jail. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing story. They could have picked that story. it's really inspiring, right? Oh my gosh. Thank you, Hollywood, for nothing. They could have chosen the inspiring one that gives people with DID hope. You know what I mean? But no, if you know, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead kind of thing comes out. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, and I imagine, you know, more than just affecting your personal life, you know, as I'm kind of thinking in your shoes here, more than just affecting your personal life, you know, when you see things like that, that are so anti, like so villainizing of that type of personality, like someone with that type of struggle, 
not only does it make your personal life difficult, but it can also start to maybe affect the way that you see yourself. And so, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I think you've done a really great job and I don't know your struggles behind, you know, the screen of your phone posting on TikTok. I'm sure it's difficult, but like you project such this confidence, like, Hey, this is me. Like I'm this way. I'm not going to be ashamed or apologetic for it. Like I do cool things. I live a life. I care for people. I make uh, beautiful stuff to put into the world. But those who maybe aren't, don't have the coping skills, aren't as strong, still maybe like new to the diagnosis and struggling, they see all these negative portrayals and images, they can start to feel really, I I would worry, ashamed of themselves. Mm -hmm. Is that, geez, I imagine that's something you've, you've felt yourself. I felt it in the beginning of my diagnosis and I really empathize with a lot of people that are in my comment sections and uh, in my discord and stuff because media like this comes out and DID is a disorder of isolation because like in my personal life, I have one friend with DID. Apart from that, I don't know anybody in person that has it. Um, So we all, that's why there's so many systems online because it's when you get diagnosed, you feel very isolated. You feel very crazy. And I've seen a lot of systems, whenever negative stuff comes out, that they're like, they want to go back into the closet per se. And they feel really ashamed. Like, does this make me, does this mean that I'm a bad person? Does this mean that I have altars that are going to go out and commit crimes and I won't know about it? You know, it puts a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity, and it makes them want to go back into the closet, which I think is really negative because more than therapy community has helped me just to be able to talk to someone that gets it. I would imagine. Yeah. 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 Community n- normalizing like, Hey, you're, you're not crazy. You know, you're not, uh, you're not a monster. There's other people who go through this. You're not alone. Probably means the mm-hmm. most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Then, you know, I, I also wonder too, you probably get a lot of input and I'm just curious, you know, you're also a parent. Mm-hmm. So like, that's gotta be a whole different dynamic. How does your, how does your child respond to, to some of those things? Does it create certain challenges? Does it create some things that are like better than maybe even most parents are able to do? Like what, what's that experience like? Um, we actually did a lot of work when we were first diagnosed in regards to parenting. Cause it was the whole, mm-hmm. like now that everybody's starting to come to the front how is that going to affect our ability to parent our kid? Yeah. Um, it's, I feel like for us, at least it's given us certain benefits because since we have child parts, when our son wants to be goofy and play with toys and stuff like that, we've got child parts that are like, oh, I want to do that too. So like, <laughs> you know, my son's seven, so he doesn't understand DID yet. He knows that we just kind of act differently sometimes, sure. but we have a lot of fun together. And then like, you know, when my son's acting up, Jackson's more the disciplinarian. (laughs) And I feel like it can be a superpower because uh, my friend Ashton, when she's down, she's seen it happen like two or three times when he's just, you know, acting up, not wanting to listen, not do what he's supposed to do. And Jackson just gets fed up with me trying to parent. So he comes out, my voice drops like an octave. And it's just like nice. Kalen and he just stops what he's doing. And oh like, no, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, I've got to, I've got to give you credit there. Like a lot of the things that I talk about in my therapy sessions are, 
hey, you, you've got to kind of separate this out. You need to create structures and boundaries for your kid. You know, there's a time to play, but you also like have to put them in their place and teach them and correct them. And it's almost like you can switch between these in mm-hmm. the times that it's necessary. You can be that absolutely carefree, fun loving. I'm there. I'm empathizing. I am a child with my child. And then when it needs to switch and there needs to be boundaries and structure, the disciplinarian comes out. The one who mm-hmm. describes things, the one who teaches comes out. And so there's kind of this ability for you to do that in such a clear way that almost I, I could imagine makes it easier for a child to understand in some ways, even though they may not understand and they'll have to wait to understand DID for later. Yeah, when he's older, we'll explain DID to him more, but I feel like it really puts a lot of structure for him. He knows what to expect in certain situations because we, you know, I have a very structured routine life just because we have to get our needs met too. Right. So that goes on to our son as well. And he's able to understand like playtime. Okay. Now we're going to have a lot of fun, but I need to do my homework or I need to go to bed, you know, do bedtime stuff. Okay. It's time to do that because if he's not listening, the discipline is going to come out. And it's like, I mean, it's really, you know, Jackson comes out, says his name and he's like, okay, going to go do the thing now. (laughs) <laughs> it's very clear, you know, and that, that mm-hmm. creates safety in some ways too mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for a kid. Do you, uh, have you had conversations, uh, with your child about like trying to introduce like DID and explaining some of these things? Like, how do you, how do you kind of address some of these changes that you experience to a child at their developmental level? Well, he watches a lot of movies and a lot of video game stuff. So we try to relate it to things he understands. Our therapist helped sort of introduce the topic to him by saying, you know, when I was a kid, some bad things happened and my brain to be able to deal with it created characters. And Mm, sometimes the characters, yeah, it's, you know, take it as like Minecraft has different characters in it. You know, you've got the villagers, you've got the creepers, you've got Steve and I don't know everybody's names, but he can understand the concept of characters. Yeah. So describing it that way makes it more child friendly than supernatural. And so they kind of get it. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, Mm -hmm. you said supernatural. That leads me to a whole another set of questions that I was hoping to ask you. How much, (laughs) I laugh. I mean, how much do you get the, uh, this is demons, this is spiritual warfare. This is, uh, you need to, you need to pray more, go to church more kind of stuff. (laughs) So much. So I actually, uh, I was, um, live on TikTok for like two hours before this. And someone came into my live and was like, Jesus wants to save you. And I just ignored him. Like there's, yeah. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I'm like, I'm very respectful of other people's religion, but I want it nowhere in my life. Like we don't do that here. So it's super inappropriate for people to push that narrative, but also that's how people are. And I live in the deep South, so I'm used to it. Uh, Where, where are you from? Like, where do you, where do you live? Georgia, like Metro Atlanta area. Mm, Right, right, right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's deep South. You know, they, (laughs) It's probably more deep south than Florida is, which is where I am. Because uh, in in Florida, we have a saying: you got to go north to get south. Once you yep. cross, Florida's kind of you know Florida man. The whole the whole joke that's absolutely real. We fight alligators, wrestle anacondas. It's the whole thing down here. But when you leave the little weird ecosphere that Florida is, you get into that deep south. 
Georgia, Louisiana, Alabama, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And there is a very strong religious bent to the conversation, uh, religious backing to the way that people think. And yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like I'm fine. Everyone's got their own spirituality. That's cool. But it really bothers me when people don't take the time to understand and empathize first and ask questions because people are like, oh, you need more Jesus. They didn't, they probably hopped in your life for 15 seconds and were like, oh, I can fix them with Jesus. Oh my goodness sakes. I live in Georgia. If Jesus was going to fix my issues, it would have happened a long time. <laughs> it would have happened there. You're in the spot. <laughs> I always find it funny because like, you know, I'm very visibly part of the rainbow family mm. and I'll go to Starbucks and just be ordering a coffee, minding my own business. And the amount of times I've been handed pamphlets on Jesus will save you. I'm like, I just want to drink my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't hurting anybody. I just wanted my latte. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, man. Do you, so, I mean, best best case of action, uh, just kind of ignoring it. Just like, okay. I ignore it or I'm polite back. So like, you know, if you pray to Jesus, I'm like, cool, thank you. And I just kind of move on. There's no reason to be an asshole back. Like, I just be cordial and move on. That is so wise and mature. I don't don't know if I could be that calm and patient about it. That's... I just don't think I have the energy. You know I mean? You got a point. You got a point. But to (laughs) but to be able to not take it so personally and be like, yeah, this is this is your issue, not mine, that you're pushing Mm -hmm. this on me. That Mm -hmm. takes so much wisdom. Like absolute respect for that. That's tough. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh man. Yeah, I was I was curious about that. Cause I, you know, I I work with schizophrenia too. And people are like, oh, that's demon communication. That's you know, or they'll say it's a superpower. They're like, oh, God's talking to you. I'm like, no, it's schizophrenia. And yeah, um, yeah, and that could be dangerous for some schizophrenics too. Because in treatment, I've met a lot of people with schizophrenia, and the amount of hyper religious schizophrenics like yes. it can be dangerous to tell them something yes. like that because they'll take it and run with it. They're like, Yep, absolutely, that's it, you know, because mm-hmm. it's this, it's this sort of uh, metaphysical, spiritual, magical answer, and that's kind of the type of thinking that schizophrenia can, can struggle with is that magical, mm-hmm. sort of paranoid metaphysical type of thinking. And so you, you do that and well, you've just kind of compounded the problem instead of finding concrete mm-hmm. answers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So another, another question, speaking of all the misunderstandings and people trying to tell you what to do, let's kind of flip the table here. What, what are some things that people can think uh, and understand if I meet somebody, if I'm interacting with somebody, um, if I want to do a better job of caring for those in my community who have DID, what are some things that people can do? Like, how can people interact with you to, you know, or or those like that to help? Um, I think the first suggestion I always try to give people that don't have DID is to be patient. Mm. Is because like, especially if, you know, I'm getting really dissociated or it's really hard to focus in on conversations when I'm getting really fuzzy is just have patience. I'm either going to switch out or I'll come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a lot of patience sometimes talking to people with DID. Apart from that, especially in, especially in public places, if you notice someone switch, don't call it out. Mm. like don't be Mm. like oh who are you now like don't because you know you don't want everyone around you to know it's a really vulnerable thing 
So, you know, if we feel like telling you, we'll be like, hey, you know, it's so-and-so now. Right. Mm, Vulnerable. Yeah, you know, I've never even really thought about it that way. Like switching is because there's there's kind of this disorientation experience, mm-hmm. and there's kind of this like, oh, where? I mean, you're coming into a whole new body here. Like, where am I? What were we doing? Mm-hmm. Why were we doing it? Am I am I in danger? Is there a need for immediate action right now? Like, did I switch because someone stronger needed to take over because we're we're in a threatening situation, or are we cool? Are we chill? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And if you call someone out, like, hey, who are you now? And we know that you've noticed the switch it could trigger that like flight reaction to like, Oh, we are in danger. I need to get out of here. You yeah. Gotta give us a minute to get oriented with what's going on. Hold. It's like waking up. Yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. uh, too many questions. Let me get my coffee first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great way to think about it. Mm. So what about, um, do people ever try and call out other personalities like get you to switch? Yes, that's why I don't say what our positive and negative triggers are very often. I'll mm. talk about mint being a trigger all day long because the chances of you being able to shove mint through my phone for me to smell it are non-existent. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So if it's triggers you can't do anything about, like getting my face wet, stuff like that, you can't splash water at me through a screen. So other things other than that, I don't, I won't announce what our triggers are because... I find it really inappropriate for people to deliberately trigger other alters out. And I've seen it with other systems who are more open about it. And I yeah. think it's messed up. People kind of suck. That's that's really vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really vulnerable and manipulative. That's gross. Mm-hmm. It makes mm-hmm. me, yeah, sick to the stomach feeling. <laughs> yeah, because like some alters don't want to be out, you know, if, if Jamie comes out, it's normally for a reason. If Jackson comes out, there's a very specific reason for it. Yes. All of our alters switch in for a very deliberate reason, whether it's you know protection, something's negatively affected us, or some, a lot of times it's positive triggers. Like Jamie, if I put a bowl of ramen in front of us, he's going to fly in. So <laughs> ah! positive triggers too. Yeah, he loves ramen. <laughs> I, I have noticed. <laughs> Do you know how much ramen got sent to us because people got so mad that I didn't buy the ramen? Well, Jamie's so cute too. I can't help it. <laughs> I wanted to buy Jamie ramen. <laughs> You're set for like the next month and a half, I bet. I'm good. I'm good on ramen. I think we're going to burn out on ramen. <laughs> it's going to be a new food now. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's that's kind of cool that you have that support though. People just want to be involved and want to help. That's cool. Yeah, they're so sweet. <laughs> So, okay, good good advice for people to help. Be patient. Let let the person ha- handle their own system. Don't try and change things. Don't try and be involved. Let let them have some autonomy. Like it's kind of like the same thing when people over try and help someone in a wheelchair. It's like, "Stop. I can I can mm-hmm. wheel myself. I'll ask for help if I need it." Let me Exactly. Let me yeah, we already feel vulnerable enough having someone constantly caretake can be triggering in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I feel that. I feel that. So kind of switching to another, another question that people have asked, you know, can you help sort of describe, cause it is different for different people. Like 
with all the the clients that I've worked with, even there, there's even some situations with DID where all the alters are aware of each other when they're out, they're watching and observing, you know, there's some that they don't have sort of that, you know, forgetfulness, amnesia, sort of blackout. Uh, others like yourself uh, don't know. You'll leave notes and then there'll be someone else's handwriting on that note. You're like, oh, it must've been mine. And then nobody else was here. They're responding to the message. Um, it's different for different people. So all that to say, what is the system like for you? Is there conversation among the system? Uh, is there a front that kind of manages everything? Just talk me kind of through it. What is like inside? Um, inside, we've got Jackson is always present. I call him my guard dog. Um, he's always around to like, just, he's the hyper vigilant one. If there's an outside perceived threat, he's the quick one to switch in to protect us. Okay. I have amnesia with certain alters and I don't with certain alters. Um, like yesterday, Dakota switched in several times because it was cold and that's a trigger for her to come out. Okay. Um, but I could see everything. I could hear every. It's kind of like watching from a movie screen. So like instead of watching from my eyes like I am now, it's like being in the backseat watching everything up on a big picture. So I'm still aware of what's going on. I'm just not doing any of it. Right. Okay. And and some of them have the amnesia. Some of them do not. Some of them you're aware watching on the movie screen. Others one is just like, whoa, okay, here we go. We're back. Yeah. Yeah. With some of them, like with Jamie, um, we're working on the communication and it's getting there little by little. But when he fronts, I still have amnesia. And for me, it feels like I fell asleep for a minute, even though he could have been out for two hours. Mm, got it. So it's very disorienting. <laughs> yeah. What um? What's kind of the longest period of time you've had that amnesia for? I mean, does it go for days at a time or is it just hours at a time? Um, for a while now, it's gone for hours at a time because we've tried to okay. set alarms and grounding things that'll help bring me back to do what I need to do with my life. We did have a time period where Dakota got what we call front stuck, where mm. she fronted and couldn't get out of it. So she was there for four days and couldn't switch back. It was almost like she was locked out of the headspace. So All that right. can happen sometimes. We call it front stuck because you can't, yeah. no matter what you do, nobody else is switching in. Yeah. And that can be, that can be frustrating and scary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really scary. <laughs> Got it. Do, um, <clears throat> I know there's kind of like this, this positive and negative association with some people really count a lot. Uh, some people are really, really against counting and they're like, that's totally the worst thing. Like you don't want to do that. What's sort of your opinions? And I mean, if you want to share totally cool, but uh, number of personalities, uh, things like that. What's your thoughts on that? I think it's fine to keep track of it. We've got um, 18 to 19. There's one that I can't tell if they're two separate or if it's one. So it's between 18 and 19. Um, I think it's beneficial to count because, you know, you kind of got to get to know everybody for the healing process. Makes sense to me. So I see it as a, a beneficial because I keep track of everybody and that way I can check in. I can make sure, you know, keep everyone's names written down so that I can make sure I'm hit, like checking in with everybody that I can check in with. I see it as good. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering your opinion on that because I know some people get, they get really hung up on the number and they you know, they have this idea that if the number gets bigger or, you know, that's a really, really bad thing. And they're always trying to get the number to become smaller and they get really stuck on trying to 
decrease the number instead of, you know, it, it can be frustrating for them. So I think that's different. People have different experiences with it and have different, mm-hmm. um, different attachments and frustrations. I think a lot of it comes, I mean, just like with anybody else, we can kind of become hyper fixated on one thing that maybe isn't even the real problem. And so I was just kind of mm-hmm. curious about your feelings on that. Nice. I think it can definitely be that way. We get we get very hyper focused on random stuff when we have another. Like one of our friends is very physically sick right now, so my brain was like, "Oh, I'm really worried about that. Let me take care of my other friend who is physically fine." I think that's pretty normal. <laughs> Got it. Got it. It's kind of a little projection going on there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Switch and move. That's great. Well, <clears throat> so. Um, Aside from all that stuff, you're you're into a lot of pretty interesting things. Uh, doing the TikTok stuff, doing doing the Twitch streaming. Um, what is you know? Just tell me what you're kind of about. I mean, aside from just focusing on the diagnosis, like you're so much more than that. Like, what's your passions? You know, what do you want to be doing with your life? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm actually super into cinematography, which I'm starting back at school next month for to get my bachelor's in science in digital cinematography. Nice. My goal is to make like indie style mini movies that I'll put up on my YouTube, but like not everything's going to be about DID. I want it to be about a variety of my interests, you know, doing stuff in video games, uh, doing stuff about trans issues, about addiction, like all everything that encapsulates my life, but making mini movies of it. I like watching movies that have just like mind blowing cinematic effects. It's an absolute passion of mine. That's cool. So the effects and stuff are neat. Well, what are some of your like inspirational movies, like movies that you really look up to? Like, yes, that's the kind of movies I want to make. One of the ones that I absolutely love is American Psycho because of one scene. (laughs) Nice. And it's when he's shooting at the cops and the cop cars blow up and he kind of looks at the gun like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) I love overly dramatic scenes which is why like some of my YouTube videos that I've made, I make them dramatic when they don't need to be because I think it's hilarious when things are overly dramatic. <laughs> so that. that's like my goal. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a personal connection for you, that overdramatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Does, that, does that come from somewhere personal for you, that, that drive for overdramatic? I don't know. I think it's just funny because it's so ridiculous sometimes. You know, yeah. people people will make really dramatic stuff to be like really serious, really sad and stuff. I think it's absolutely hilarious when stuff is over the top dramatic. I see it as great comedy because that's my life. I'm really into humor. I'm going to be doing stand up comedy in September. Um, oh, that's awesome. I love humor. Yeah, I am at the Entitled to Life conference, and it's September 16th and 17th, I believe. Nice. Tune in. Can we, can we find you online to watch that? Yeah, there's e-tickets. Um, oh, heck yeah. Yeah, I can post the link. It's through Twa Magazine. They're setting up a whole conference for DID. Well, there will be a whole bio section. We're going to link all the stuff, tickets, you nice. know, TikTok, YouTube, all the things. So anything you want to know, uh, you'll find it right there. So that's great. Man, very cool. Yeah, it'll be perfect. <clears throat> Cinematography. Does that, you know, I know a lot of people when they when they engage in their hobbies, um, it can be, be very helpful. Um, for mental health, how does mm-hmm. how does doing cinematography focusing on something like that that you really enjoy? Because um, I mean, I see your expression of it in TikTok and YouTube, all that stuff, Twitch. Um, how does that sort of integrate with your mental health and helping or causing problems? Any of that? 
I think for the most part, it helps with my mental health because I'm very goal and achievement oriented. Mm. Like I have a drive for always, I always have to be figuring something out and, you know, reach that achievement. So there's still so much that I don't know how to do. I'm still learning lighting and color correction and, you know, how to film things to storytell. So I have goals set and that keeps, it's probably, you know, my ADHD searching for dopamine constantly, but it gets that, like, I have things to work towards and that, you know, gives me a sense of purpose and a, a drive towards doing stuff. So it definitely helps lift us that way. But then also I have ADHD. So sometimes I get really hyper-focused on it and I will be editing something for 12 hours and be like, oh, I should probably eat at some point. Oopsies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's twofold. I have to set like, I have so many alarms in my phone to remind me to stop doing stuff and like, go eat, take a shower today, like stuff like that. Yeah. The structure, the structure is really helpful. So, so when cinematography helps with kind of structure, having a goal, having a direction that you need to go, that's very beneficial. Sometimes you got to temper it because the ADHD will mm -hmm. latch on, you know, your personality will latch on and kind of take it a little too far because it really does enjoy it. But mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think a lot of us can identify with some of that. Mm -hmm. Oh Yeah. It's it's good to have things. I, I can't just sit. I need to always be striving for something better. Yeah, I love that. Always striving for something better. Well, geez, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for, for sharing all your thoughts and input on these things. Um, is What's the best way for people to kind of get in touch with you? Where do you, where do you make most of your content? Where should people kind of look you up and start from? TikTok is absolutely my most active platform. TikTok and Twitch. I stream on Twitch almost every day. Love it. Love it. And so on, on TikTok, on Twitch, all that stuff will be in the bio. Uh, Fragmented Psyche. I think that's it on all of it, right? All, the, all of them all the except app. Twitter, but ignore my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about Twitter. Uh, who, who uses Twitter? I don't know. Some people use mm -hmm. Twitter. <laughs> Wendy's and Pizza Hut when they have Twitter wars. I mean, that's about it, right? Those are the best though. <laughs> Those are so good. <laughs> They've got it down. Mm -hmm. Well, Zach, thank you so much for being here. This has been fantastic. Um, look forward to doing more stuff together. And uh, I hope you follow follow their page. It's been It's been a fun ride. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Talk to you later. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Murmur.co, M-I-R-M-I-R.co. If you are interested in learning more and taking courses from your favorite creators on social media, Murmur.co is the place to be. It combines community and e-learning in a place that allows and empowers creators to provide their audience with the content they want. There's no better place to have that personal experience and to support those creators that you care for and enjoy than murmur.co. And we thank them for being a sponsor of this episode. If you want any more information about me, Jesse Lyon, and Lyon Mental Health, you can always visit my website, www.lyonmentalhealth.com, L-Y-O-N, mentalhealth.com. It's where you can get your dreams personally interpreted by me. You can find the latest about the courses that I'm developing and working on, on how to interpret your own dreams. And you can send me a personal message if you want just a little bit more information and maybe I can help you out. But most importantly, thank you so much for being here. And I'm glad that you joined us and we got to trip off together.